By downloading or listening to this podcast, you are agreeing to Moody's legal terms and conditions found at moody's.com slash disclaimer, including that the information provided is not investment or financial advice, and that Moody's will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information. during March, International Women's Day and Women's History Month give us a chance to take stock. We can celebrate women's achievements, but also reflect on the work that remains to be done. And make no mistake, I'm Gen X, and the progress we've seen on reducing the gender gap over the course of my life has been truly historic. Nevertheless, there's still more to be done. And the economic shocks of recent years have shown a light on the importance of government policy choices in supporting gains in female labor force participation. So today we ask, how has gender equality in the workplace progressed? And what does that mean for the world's economies? I'm your host, Sarah Carlson, and this is Moody's Talks, The Big Picture, where we answer the big questions facing credit markets. I'm delighted to be joined by Raphael Oberti, a credit analyst at Moody's Investor Service, and Don Holland, who is Director of Economic Research at Moody's Analytics. We should note that Moody's Analytics and Moody's Investor Service are different divisions of Moody's Corporation. Views expressed on this podcast by representatives of one division should not be attributed to other divisions. And so without further ado, let's get started. Raphael and Don, welcome to the pod. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Hi, Sarah. Great to be here. Well, it's great to have you both here. So, Don, I'd like to throw the first question to you. Can we start just by going back to first principles? What is the economic impact of increasing women's participation in the labor force? Okay, well, let's look at it from uh, from the perspective of the OECD set of countries. Um, we know that about 65% of women across the OECD are engaged with the labor force. And about 80% of men are engaged with the labor force. So if we were to close that gap, so that there were 80% of women also engaged in the labor force, that would bring a whole slew of additional people into economic activity. So with more people, obviously, that means we can produce more. So it would raise the potential um, capacity of the global economy. My colleague and I looked at quantifying, so how much, how much could it actually increase global economic activity and found that you know, closing the gender gaps within the OECD has the potential to add about 6.2% to global economic output. And that's roughly about just over 6 trillion US dollars. So quite a significant sum. Indeed. So, Raphael, what are some of the differences that we see between advanced and emerging economies? Don was just talking about the OECD, but when we take a step back and look worldwide, what do we see? It is, it is difficult to answer to your question, Sarah, because I think like not only we're seeing diff- some differences between advanced economy and em- emerging markets, but also there are many, many differences within those sets of economies. But on average, I would say that female labor force participation tends to be tends to be higher in advanced economies, and especially the gap between men participation and women participation tends to be lower. But but that being said, I think we should not forget that there are like massive differences based on the structure of the economies, based on like cultural norms uh, within each country. And for example, if we only look at the European Union, we have some countries where we have 
around like 50-55% of female labor force participation, and in some countries it's above 75%. So what are some examples of some of those that are at the high end of the scale versus the, the lower end if we look at uh, the, the European countries specifically? In the EU, some countries which have particularly low women participation in the workforce um, are Italy and Greece, for example. And then if we take if we take a look at the high end, um, that would be uh, some of the Nordics, such as uh, Finland, Sweden, uh, but also countries like uh, a country like Estonia. So, Don, you've done some work looking at a very specific group of women, Ukrainian refugees. How well have they been able to integrate into the labor markets of the European countries where they arrived after fleeing their homes? So obviously, it's been a challenge. They're facing language barriers. They're facing complexities of getting their qualifications recognized. And they're facing sort of some sometimes skill matches between jobs on offer and the skills that they that they're bringing with them. But what we have seen is that by September of last year, Roughly 70% of the of working age Ukrainians who had fled from, from the war had begun engaging with the labor market. So a much higher share than we might have expected in such a short period of time. And by November, um, the information available from Poland is that about 40% of adults were engaged in some form of employment or self-employment. So how is this wave of refugees different from those that we've seen in recent decades? So I think there's um, a couple of important factors to bear in mind. So Raphael was talking about how labor force participation differs across different countries. Um, in fact, female labor force participation is relatively high in Ukraine, so higher than the OECD average and higher than in some of the primary host countries, such as Poland, where, they're, um, where they have arrived. And the second thing is that educational attainment in Ukraine is, is fairly high. And so we're looking at a highly skilled workforce. So that, um, and the third factor is that the people who have made the journey to the EU are more likely to have both been in work in the Ukraine and to have higher levels of education than the population as a whole. So in general, we would expect them to have a higher probability of actively engaging with the labor market. And have governments done anything specific to try to encourage this? So government policies differ by country, but the EU as a whole has um, provided immediate access to the labor market for all people fleeing from the Ukraine, which I think is a huge, has been hugely um, supportive in helping them integrate into society. Well, Raphael, just staying on the theme of policy choices, there's obviously a policy dimension that encourages or discourages all women, all people, to be honest, uh, from working, particularly once they have children. And in your work, what have been some of the policies that we see having the biggest impact? I think it's been a focus on on many governments when they try to increase uh, female participation in the workplace. And usually there are like different axes on which they focus. Uh, one of them is uh, parental leave, not only now for, for women, but also uh, for the second parents uh, to be able to take on some leave. But I think what has been very important in recent years is access to uh, early childhood care and education, uh, not only in terms of 
availability, but also in terms of cost. And where we've seen um, government successfully increase uh, female labor force participation is usually where you have a combination of, of different policies on these topics. And where do we see uh, maybe some important changes taking place in this area? I think in Europe, Malta would be a good example of country which has very successfully increased uh, female labor force participation. It was below 50%. um, The employment rate was below 50% for women um, around like a decade ago. And now it it has almost reached uh, 70%. And I think like the government really successfully like implement introduce various policies to encourage uh, female labor force participation, including um, like more benefits, uh, maternity leave, childcare, um, and this has like successfully encouraged women to join uh, the workforce. But it's this is only one example among others, and I think like. Something which is quite telling, for example, is that during the pandemic, the recovery plans of some European countries uh, did focus on uh, improving access to childcare, for example, uh, in Italy. Okay. Don, we've been talking about cross-country differences, but I know that you also look at differences across sectors of the economy. What are some of the things that you observe? And particularly, what do you see with regard to women not just entering the labor force, but rising to to management positions? Yes. Um, So the key thing that we see there, and this is across basically all sectors and all countries, is that gender gaps tend to get wider and wider and wider the further up the, the sort of seniority ladder towards senior management that you go. So there are gaps in labor force participation, but there are even larger gaps in the share of women in middle and senior level management positions. And if you look across sectors, these gaps tend to be particularly wide in sectors that have historically been very heavily male dominated, such as construction, uh, manufacturing. But one of the sort of what I would point out as one of the sort of more worrying trends is that um, there seems to be very wide gender gaps in high tech ICT sector, which is a sector that's really important for driving productivity and growth going forward. So it means that without uh, senior women in these positions, uh, women are already sort of primed to miss out on uh, the potential wage and income gains from this rapidly expanding sector. Well, I'd like to turn next to uh, to some of the changes that we might expect to see in the future. What do we see as far as uh, how childcare and early education is concerned? Raphael, you, also, you already mentioned uh, that Italy, for example, uh, is, is focusing on this. Yeah, so Italy is focusing on this. And I think in Italy, the focus was really to increase the availability of um, early childcare uh, spots uh, for families, because in Italy, the cost is not so much of an issue, but what is an issue is really the availability of spots. So the government is focusing on investing investing in infrastructure and in um, like childcare facilities. Then in other places, the problem is sometimes more the cost of childcare, uh, which can take up a very significant amount of household's money and which can sometimes be like a disincentive for women to to get back to work because the cost of childcare is so high. And are there places in particular where we see that as being an issue? 
Yes, um, the OECD does collect uh, very good data in terms of um, where, like the cost of childcare. If we take the example of a family with two young kids and uh, two parents, which and the parents are earning like below average income, uh, the cost of childcare is particularly high in the UK, in Czech Republic, New Zealand, and Ireland, for example, and it takes 20% of the of household income or above in these countries. And uh, what about trends that we've seen in the post-pandemic era? Things like increased work- workplace flexibility, things like working from home. Don, is that something that you see potentially making a difference? Um, or is that perhaps too simplistic a way to uh, to think about the issue? Well, I think it definitely should make a difference, right? I mean, in addition to the, the, the key factors that Raphael was pointing out, um, that um, uh, often prevent women from fully engaging in the in the workforce. Uh, a lack of workforce flexibility is is one of the factors that's repeatedly pointed to. So creating a more flexible work environment um, where with more jobs being able to be conducted from home can make it easier to uh, balance both um, family responsibilities and a, a full-time position at work. So let's close with a question that we ask all our guests on the big picture. What is one aspect of this issue that we haven't talked about that you think probably deserves more attention than it actually gets? Raphael, I'll start with you. I think in today we've discussed a lot about uh, availability of childcare for families, uh, but I think we shouldn't forget that some families also need to care for older parents. And especially as populations are aging in Europe, um, demographic dynamics are not very favorable. This may become like a bigger issue, especially for women, given that we know that usually women are more responsible for caring for older parents than men. So this might be an issue um, in the long run. And that's why not only um, it is essential uh, for women to have access to childcare facilities, uh, but also to uh, quality uh, long-term care. Very good point. Don, what about you? Yeah, that is a very good point. So I guess I would try to help us end on a, on a, on a positive note um, and just say that there is potential for much more rapid progress in closing gender gaps. Progress over the last decade, I know maybe over our lifetimes it's been um, astounding, but over the last decade has kind of ground to a halt in, in many countries and we've even seen some backsliding. But we are in a position where, first of all, the whole world has committed to achieving gender equality through the UN's Sustainable Development Goals. And second of all, we know, as Raphael's been pointing out, that there are policies that can significantly accelerate progress. And third, we've also seen some countries where there has been a rapid increase in the share of girls and young women who are engaging in higher education. If you take India, for example, which is the second largest country by population in the world, so it makes a big difference. We've seen the number of girls and uh, women engaging in higher education rise significantly. So they are on the precipice of being able to jump in to the labor force and start climbing up that seniority ladder. So I'm hoping to see much more rapid progress over the coming Uh, decades. Well, and the good news is that every year in March, we have the opportunity I was talking about at the beginning of the pod to to take stock. And hopefully we will start seeing 
those those women and girls entering the the labor forces as you hope. So Raphael and Dawn, that has this has been a great discussion. Thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for listening. I'm Sarah Carlson, and please catch us next time on Moody's Talks: The Big Picture. Thanks for listening to this Moody's Talks podcast. To find out more about the topics discussed, please follow the links in the show notes. You can check out other Moody's Talks podcasts by visiting moody's.com slash podcasts.